The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Makes me happy. We're in Mark chapter 3 today. We're going through the gospel of Mark. If you're new, I'm glad you're here. My name is Ryan, and I'm your pastor. And this morning, it's a little bit of a different morning because we're doing uh, some, we're, it's gonna, I'm going to run through a passage and talk about the power of what happens when God gives you a name. Really, when, when God gives anything a name, the name is very important. Some of you chose names for your kids because you wanted them to become the type of name that you chose for them, right? Anyone do that? When you're choosing the name for your kid, you're like, I'm going to choose a name that means something beautiful and amazing, that means maybe they're loved by God. How many parents did that? Chose a name for their kid because of the meaning of it. Okay, how many parents, if if you could change your kid's name now to make it mean something that they are actually like, would change their kid's name, right? But we can't all name our children terrible people, tiny humans, home wreckers, disaster makers. Today we're looking at a couple of things, and one of my friends is going to come up and share. And, and as we do this, I need us to prepare our hearts to understand that that when God gives you a name, it actually isn't just a title, it's a declaration of who He has created you to be, unique, uniquely created, uniquely equipped, unique experiences, unique purposes, because I know if you're anything like me, some of you right now are thinking, my life, there's got to be more than what I'm currently living through. There's got to be more purpose, more calling, more joy more connection with God and others than what I'm currently experiencing, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's pray, and we're going to be in Mark 3, 7, coming out of the prayer. Lord, you know us by name. You call us by name, not, not just as a title, God, but you are speaking life and change into us. Lord, I pray that today change would be sparked in the hearts of this chapel family that today we would be challenged to do things we've never done. We would be challenged to, to push back the darkness in this world with more impact than we ever have. And I pray that as we get an understanding and a taste and a desire of what it could mean to be called by a unique name given by you, our creator, to us, your creation, that we would feel the gravity of that and desire to see what it is you're creating in all of us when you call us by our new name. In this exploration, Lord, it's all for your glory, not for ours. It's all about you and not about us. So I pray that you would direct our hearts heavenward in Jesus' name. All God's kids said, amen. Jesus has been healing people. He's been casting out demonic spirits. Jesus has been teaching people the good news of Jesus. Jesus has been telling people to take a day off. For crying out loud, fishhawk people, take a day off. And now, this is probably nearing the height of Jesus' popularity. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And just in case you're wondering how popular Jesus is getting, people are traveling Tyre and Sidon about 100 miles to see Jesus before Toyota Priuses existed. That's a long way. It's like you walking from Tampa directly across the state of Florida to go see a Christian person. Now, some of you I know would travel that far to see like Beth Moore or whatever. Um, it's, it's easy to travel that far for beaches. I know that because I see your Instagram posts. 
When the red tide was here, you went there. But these guys are traveling 100 miles by donkey or horse or foot to see Jesus. And when the crowd had heard what he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. That's how many people that were, were there trying to see Jesus. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Think about this popularity. Or think about this. What if there was something up here right now, and it had three healings in it? And if you were the first three people to touch it, you were healed from whatever it is that's ailing you. I know some of you personally, you would go to fisticuffs with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You'd be like, I don't care about your pain. I got this. We wouldn't be loving anymore. There would be people that would be fighting up here to get healed from arthritis while someone is dying from cancer. My hunch. Because we're humans. I would love to see, I was talking with Greg's son, Anthony, this morning before service. Um, he was back there. If you don't know Anthony, um, he's disabled temporarily and will be healed one day. And I was like, man, Anthony, you're doing so good. And uh, you're, you're in such a good mood today. You're such a sweetheart. And I was, we were talking about how I get to hang out with him. And I was asking him if he likes coffee. He doesn't speak to me yet. Um, but one day, I'm like, this is going to be so cool. Because I'm talking to Anthony. And I see other people ignore people that they think maybe they don't understand me. But I'm like, one day I get to see Anthony when he's walking, not in a wheelchair, and talking. And I think he's going to like coffee because I'm friends with him and I like coffee. And Jesus is kind. This is, what, this is the type of stuff Jesus was doing when he was walking the earth. He was raising people that couldn't walk. And so everyone's pressing in and they want to know him. And here's what he does to deal with this pressure. And this is where, where the story comes in for us today. He went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired. So he said, there's some people I need to, to do life with right now, to make a change. And they came to him, and he appointed 12. How many? 12. How many tribes were there in the tribes of Israel in the Old Testament? Starts with a T, rhymes with 12. 12. I'm just making sure, in case you're not a Bible scholar, you're welcome here, just like me. He appointed 12, because he's saying, there's a new group and a new way of living, and a new way of life that I'm showing you. It's not the Old Testament way. It's not the way that we did things in the past with the sacrifice of animals. It's not the 12 tribes. I'm starting a new type of family with these 12 people, a new way of living, a new way of what is family. He appointed them, and he named them apostles. Apostles means sent ones, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. So he he had appointed 12, and he named them. He gave their group a name. And then he appointed the 12. Simon, to whom he gave the name, Peter. Peter means what, church fam, if you know? Rock. Was Peter a rock of a human being? Did he, was he always strong and stable? No. Peter denied Jesus. Peter didn't listen to Jesus. Peter took a step out of the boat, props to Peter, but then he sunk like a rock for a minute until Jesus when God gives you a name, he's giving you a name not of who you are in this moment, but of who he knows you were created to be. He goes on and names some of the other one, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is the sons of thunder. That's what I want my name to be with God. Or he could just call me Thor for short. <laughs> Super pumped. I want to get to heaven. And he's like, the name I have for you and none other is Thor, son of Odin. Prince of Asgard. 
Yes, Lord. Oh, where's my hammer? I don't think I'm going to get that because obviously I don't look like a Thor. I'm going to get there and he's going to be like, you are a doctor, fantastic. You can stretch. No. God has a name for, for all of us. God has a name for you that's unique to you. In, in Isaiah 43, it says, the Lord says he created you. He, for, he who formed you, he who redeemed you, he has called you by name. And it's not just every name. It's, there's no two Ryans in heaven. I get a new name. Revelation 2.17 says, To him or her who overcomes, to the one who overcomes, I will give a white stone with their new name on it, written. And only Jesus knows it. Jesus and you. And it's not just the name that's your title. It's the name of, that encapsulates everything that you were meant to be. It's the name that says your, your generosity or your strength or your patience or your perseverance. And in the Jewish culture, at times they would add names to your name when you did something of significance. So you could be Greg, the adopter of Anthony, the soccer player guru of Valrico. That's a weak name, though. Imagine if we're, we're choosing names that, that are to the core of who we are. Names that, that I may not even know about you, but when I see you, I see there's strength in some of you. Some of, some of the single moms that are here, I look into your eyes because I was raised by a single mom, and I just see strength beyond strength and patience beyond patience and sacrifice. Maybe your name is one of those. Jesus has a name for you, and it, it encapsulates who you are. And we, we know this in our culture, even though we kind of deny it a little bit. We're like, well, do names really matter? Like, I just went to the baby book name list on Google, and I chose the name that wasn't the top one because I didn't want there to be like 100 Emmas in 2017. Names matter. Here's how I know they still matter for us, because people change their names all the time. Eric Marion Bishop, who you know as Jamie Foxx. Why would he change his name? Because if a rapper comes up to you named Eric Marion Bishop, you're like, no. Or how about this? Why did Peter Gene Hernandez become someone many of you know as Bruno Mars? Because I'm buying an album by a guy named Bruno Mars. Sounds way cooler than Peter Gene Hernandez. How about this mouthful? Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanata became a woman who I affectionately call Lady Gaga. Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> Why did Mary and Robert Morrison become the famous cowboy actor we all know as John Wayne? Because if you're about to get in a fisticuff fight with a guy named Marianne, you're like, I could take you. No offense. If you're here and your name's Marianne and you're a dude, I'm sorry. Jesus forgives me and still loves you, okay? Naming has power. We name our pets. We let our kids name the pets because it creates a bond. When God created in Genesis 1, he didn't just snap things into existence. He named them because light didn't exist. So he said light and then light was. He said man and man was and he gave Adam and Eve names. And then to endear and give Adam and Eve authority over this world, he said, I want you to go name the animals. This is a very Jewish process of giving uh, ownership and governance based on names. I name my pets, uh, we have, we've only had beta fish with my children because they're, they're young, and I named him Bob the Beta, and, uh, and Bob died a lot. So we had Bob 2, Bob 3, Bob 4, Bob 5, but the kids, they didn't know because I was just taking the beta fish and matching colors at the pet mart, whatever, 
I was like, this could pass for Bob the seventeenth. Naming is powerful. I want you to know that you have a name that God has given you, and it's already stored in heaven. And it encapsulates all that you want to be in the core of your soul because you were created by God. His fingerprint is on who you are. Sin has marred it and put tar upon it. But God says, I know who you truly are. I know that you're meant for more than just sitting behind a desk and answering emails. I know that you're meant for more than just running this business. I know that you're meant for more than just being a, a parent. Although those are all good things, you're meant for greater things that are connected to God. You're created to do beautiful and world-changing things. And they're all wrapped up in your name, that it's yours alone. It, it's so funny to me. Like, Ryan, you would think there's going to be a lot of Ryans in heaven. Some of you have unique names. Gia is probably unique in the Philippines. No, not even. Not even. But it's wild to me to think that God says, I've got one just for you. And I, I want to know my name. Not Thor, the God of Thunder but I want to know the name Jesus has for me. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship. The word for workmanship is poema. God is literally writing a poem out of your life, a poem of good works, a poem which God prepared beforehand. Everything in your life, the, the place you were born, the family to whom you were born, the struggles and trials that you went through, these are all brushes in the hand of God creating in you, the person that he wants you to be, to endure hard times, to stand up and be strong, to push back the darkness in this world, to love God and love others well. You didn't choose your physical DNA. You didn't choose your parents. None of us in here chose our parents. Barry Manilow chose our parents for us. Or if you're younger, in sync. I would, I would love to give some of you new names, like real ones. And in my mind, I do that sometimes. I, I get to know somebody. And sometimes I just associate it with something you've given me to remember your name. So like you, just rock shrimp. You gave me rock shrimp. Every time I say it, I'm like, rock shrimp. It's my rock shrimp friend. I'm not going to call you the rock. Uh, uh, Louie makes pasta. Guess what I call him? Mario. It's funny to me. In my head, he's Mario. It's me, Mario. <laughs> But, but he also brings people together. He brings people together. Some people that I see, that they're in pain. It, and for me, I, they get associated with like a weather pattern, kind of like um, Eeyore and the Winnie the Pooh. And I want to pray them through those storms. But God has a name that's perfect for you. It not only captures who he created you to be, who he saved you to be, it, it gets all of your personality and all of your experiences. God was with you in the darkest moment of your life, and he's been with you at the highest moment of your life. A couple got married here yesterday, and it was so fun to watch. I love watching weddings when I'm not, when I'm not officiating them. And there, this was the backdrop, that thing over here, and that, the arch in the lobby was, they were between, and they're so young. This is how I know I'm getting old. I called them kids all day, and they're 19 and 21, because they're kids, right? 19 and 21 getting married. You're making a forever decision. This is serious. Ten years, one of you is going to take a swing at the other one. <laughs> and they're always just, and I'm like, God is right there. And when they said kiss, <laughs> it, was the, it was the father 
of the bride, who was a pastor, said, you may kiss your bride. Dude didn't even have time to move. Bride pounced on him like a puma. Ah! I said, and I'm just looking around. My God is, God is so glorified in this moment because the vows they read were, I'm going to appoint you to Jesus no matter what. The, the bride said to her husband now, I'm going to get my joy from Jesus, not from you, because I don't want to put that type of pressure on you. Oh, wow, you're 19. So I went up afterwards. I was like, how did you get to be this way? Because I want my daughter to say those vows to her husband when she turns 72. <laughs> the things we say, the things we name matter. The things we speak matter. If you want to know your name, here's how you do it. There's really three processes that you can go through. If you want to begin to uncover your name, it's like when you're opening a card slowly or when you're peeling back a, a thing that's revealing the secret word. First, if you want to know it, don't make all of your life about you. As a matter of fact, as much as you think that's how you will get to know your name, it's the exact opposite. If you make your life all about working on you, fixing you, being for you, making you wealthier, making you better, making you more prominent, that's actually going to do the reverse effect. It's going to cover up the name that God has for you with a name you're trying to manufacture for yourself. The first thing to do is to, to be sensed to go God-centered and other-centered. The the apostles were named such because it means sent ones, and you all are the sent ones. We don't do church right nowadays. We do church, we call this church where you come here, but church is really when us are sent to love others there. So today, um, as I'm going to continue preaching, I'm going to pass this around today. This is what we call a reverse offering. There's $10 bills in here, lots of $10 bills. If you saw my Facebook video, I was Scrooge McDuckin this week. I want you to take one and hold it. Every single person, not every family, every person, take a $10 bill. If you got one last service, get one again this service. And you're like, ballin', do it. I want you to take a $10 bill, and it's, it's not for you to go play the Powerball. This is not for you to go play the Powerball. Although if you play the Powerball and win, you better tithe, or you might go to hell. I made that last part up. This is what's called a Luke 19 project, where, where you are faithful with what God has given you and you multiply it. In the parable, God gives people different gifts and talents, time, money, talents, abilities, and he says, go use them. Go be faithful with them. Raise, raise up more money and be faithful with everything in our lives, and we've lost sight of this in our culture, of being intentional, which is why we're giving you $10 today. And by we, I specifically mean GTI, who you're going to learn about shortly here. Because you're to take this $10 and say, Lord, how can I use this $10 to be sent? And while I want this to be sent and intentional in all of our lives, this particular project is about one that's near and dear to my heart. It's about one where I went to India and I got to talk with men, women, and children who had never heard the name of Jesus, ever. And I said, hey, do you know, have you heard of Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of all things? And, and Blake said, I've never heard of him. I'm like, what? I'm talking to the translator. Is there another name you have for Jesus? Are we going Hebrew style? Do you know Yeshua? Nope. Nope. Jesus? Christos? The Nazarite? I don't have any more names. Joshua? No, they'd never heard of him. And I preached the gospel and I saw people's hearts change and melted. The reason why we're doing this project, I'm giving you $10 today. And you have to the week before Christmas to think and pray and plan about how you can use this $10 and multiply it. And it's going to be the beginning offering of what the chapel is embarking on to reach an unreached people group. There's flyers in the back tables and the, at guest services and on the table, India table in the lobby today. The Kotia are untouchables. 
They're not to be touched and approached by others because of their caste system level in India. And this ministry that I've gone to India with, can you put up the one picture of me where I'm wearing the exact same shirt? This is what I learned when Byron was doing his presentation this morning. Um, I clearly need to buy new shirts because I'm wearing the exact same shirt that I was in 2014 in India. Like, he's out talking today, and look, this was when Ryan was in India, and I was like, oh, dang it. And I still have those jeans. You can put it back to the other thing now, but, but I want us to take this and be creative. Say, God, what do you want me to do with this? How can I use $10? It's only $10, Lord. Maybe some of you, if you're a kid, you're going to make chocolate chip cookies and sell them to your neighbors. And just do it with tears in your eyes. Get some Visine first, tear it up, and say, this is for poor people in India to learn to read and hear about Jesus. Chip, 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 chip. That's <laughs> $2 for the Visine, 8 bucks for cookie supplies, and you're going to make a mint. Don't lie. Maybe you're going to pool money. Some other people have taken money, and they put it together. Small groups say, hey, we got 300 bucks in our small group. Let's buy food, invite over all of our neighbors, and say, here's what we're trying to raise money for. It's just a donation. We made, made a dinner party to love the people of India because they, they teach literacy year one, and they begin making disciples of Jesus in year two and three. They plant churches, 12 churches to be exact is the goal. And we're going to get updates as a chapel family because this is like when you sponsor a kid with compassion, we're sponsoring a whole people group of India. And some of you can go if you want. You can go this February, next February, the following February. We're connected with these people. I've been there. These people that go every year are right back there. But if you want to find out what your name is, it starts with taking your eyes off of you and putting them on something else. I'm using, we are using this $10 as a jump start for your go somewhere, be sent engine. The next part, if you want to know your own name, you got to be family. You got to be family. You got to have people close to you that can speak truth into your life. People close enough to you that you've said, you can, you can tell me when I'm doing something wrong. The Bible calls this fellowship. We've changed fellowship to mean this. Fellowship means you have someone near you that can encourage you when you're down, that can, that can cheer you on when you're going forward. But fellowship means also someone that can look and see into your life and tell you how it really is. Has anyone here ever listened to your own voice on recording? How many of you have heard your own voice and you're like, love it? And then you cringe. Every one of us cringes. Some of you love it. Way to go, Norm. Sinner. Um, I saw you smile like this. Me, I love it. I sing to my... Na, 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 na. Anyway, most of us don't like our own voice. Uh, in my job, I listen to my voice 99.99% more often than probably any of you do. Um, like, listen to your own voice. And it's weird. You listen to your voice. Man, what do you say when you hear a recording of yourself and you're with somebody? You say, do I really sound like that? And what does your spouse say? Yes. It's shrill, like the queen of the harpies. <laughs> you need people around you that can tell you how it really is. Otherwise, you, you won't see the defects in your own character. You won't see the, the weaknesses that you have, and you won't un even understand the strengths that you have. If you want to understand your name, you need to first be on mission to do something. If you want to understand and begin to see God's name for you, you've got to have people around you who can call you out when you are trying to pretend to be something you're not. You've got to be in the family. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You yourselves are living stones. We are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. We are all stones being built up into one house. 1 Corinthians 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. We are, we are one body, but we need to work together. My hand cannot accomplish anything if it can't go anywhere. 
My feet and legs need to take my hand to go do something. But so often we're so fragmented, and I'm tired of just doing church like we've been doing it. I know, I'm like, for those of you who know me well, you're like, man, this guy's like, he's cheery, but then he gets real dark sometimes. Like, I just think, um, I look at our greeters. We need greeters on Sunday. But I think, man, I wonder what they were wired for. I wonder what God has gifted them to do, what he's gifted them to do that's so much more vast than greeting. It really struck me one day because um, we have amazing greeters. And as a church pastor, you're always like, we just need volunteers. We need, we need children's workers. We need greeters. We need hosts. We need this. We need that. And, and I was, uh, you always get caught up in the grind. But then it struck me one day because one of my friends who used to come to the chapel, they moved away up to New York, um, was a greeter. And he was also the president of Coca-Cola. And I'm like, I'm sure I could think of something that you could do <laughs> at a small church with a small budget besides just greet. But I didn't even do it. I was like, oh, I really blew an opportunity. <laughs> some, some of the people that sing, maybe, maybe there's a different seat on the bus that they would be even more desirous to have. Some of you are thinking, I have gifts. God's created me to do amazing things, and he has. Not to say we don't make coffee, not to say we don't greet, but let's find out what your gifts are for the family. Because in a family, we all do our work together. We don't just... Let the parents tow the load. Hopefully, if you're raising children, when you're cleaning, at some point you teach them to clean. When you're organizing, you teach them to organize. When you're lo- balancing your checkbook, you teach them to balance a checkbook. That's how families work. And then the kids also play a role. I tell Jackson all the time, now that he's 10, he turns 10 in a couple weeks, I say, the reason I had you is so I don't have to do chores for a solid chunk of my best years. And the reason I kept having kids is because I got addicted to not having to do chores. So I'm just going to keep breeding so that I have indentured servants known as children. Social Security is going to be gone by the time I'm old. That's why I had four. One of them will be successful. Social Security covered. That's pretty dark. <laughs> no, but be, be the true family of God. Care for one another well. And then be intimate with Jesus. In, this, in the parallel passage of this story, it's all about knowing your name. Jesus sends out the apostles and they return. And then Luke, when Jesus is, and this story is being recounted by Dr. Luke. And it says the, the apostles, they received a new name and it came with power. And I want you to have the power of God in you. And they went out and they used this new power that God had given them. And it's, they came back and said, Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. We cast out demons. Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. We perform miracles. Imagine if Jesus, who you had seen, you, you saw him take a kid's lunchbox, feed 5,000. You saw Jesus spit in the, the dirt, make mud, wipe it in a blind man's eyes. Imagine if you saw that blind one, and like Jesus sends you out two by two, and you go out, and you see a blind guy, and you lean over to your, your buddy, the son of thunder, and you say, do you remember that time Jesus did that thing with the mud? Let's do it. Hey, bro, go wash off. And they do, and they get healed of blindness. You come back, and they came back with all these stories, I'm sure, fired up. And here's what Jesus says to them when they came back, fired up. He says, don't rejoice in that. That the spirits are subject to you, that you can do these miracles. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in this, Jesus says, that your names are written in heaven. 
The fact that God knows your name and he says, I got this in a book and I wrote it in here because I bled for you. The ink is my blood to say you are mine forever. This is, this is the beginning of what it means to be the church. So in 2019, we're going to be renovating some things. I'm getting rid of all small groups. Church has been doing small groups for long enough. We need to, we need to do, we need to have little axe churches, little micro small churches where there are shepherds. Like Jesus raised up the 12, I'm going to be raising up 12. And I'm not Jesus, I'm one of the 12. And this Sunday gathering is going to be a gathering of, of axe churches, churches that devote themselves in a tight-knit family to say, what gifts do we have? What's our names? How can we push back the darkness in our community? How can we love the teachers at the school where our kids go? How can we pour into the coaches and the other teammates in our sports program? And we're going to let our lives be shaped with all of our gifts being used and utilized. And this will become a celebratory gathering space for a movement of biblical churches. Be sent, be family, be intimate. I pray that you will begin this intentional analogy today, that you will begin thinking and praying, God, how are we going to do this? Are we going to make some bracelets, sell them on Etsy? <laughs> so let me invite up my friend. He's got 15 minutes to share with you the joys of India and what it's going to look like for us to reach this people group. Uh, Byron is the director of the West Coast aspect of Glad Tidings, West Coast of our country and West Coast of Florida now because this is his first time in Florida. Um, he's going to share with you a little bit of his story about how he got involved with Glad Tidings. More than what he does for Glad Tidings India, I just need you to know he's my dear friend, my brother in Christ. He's been living in my house for the last couple of days, and he has a sweet style of t-shirts. The one thing I do not like about Byron, and those of you who come to the chapel often will know this, his son is a Cincinnati Bengals fan. Everyone say, boo. No, I'm just kidding. Byron, will you give a warm welcome for Byron? Thank you. This is for you. Cover up that black shirt. Give you some color. Some Indian color. <clears throat> Get your fingerprint on there. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. There you go. All right, cool. Yep, great, awesome, awesome. How many of you like to receive blessings? How many of you not only like to receive blessings, but you really like to bless others? Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm going to share for, with you for the next few minutes about how you can give and receive blessings and also how you can store up treasures in heaven. Before I get started, I want to say a big thank you for welcoming my wife, Kathy, in here, Kathy and I here. <clears throat> And a, and a big thank you to Brother Ryan uh, for giving us the opportunity to share this important message. And before I get started telling you how you can store up treasures in heaven, I want to share with you a little bit about myself. And I never planned on going to India. That was not on my bucket list. And one day in 2005, I went to a midweek Bible service with my family, and the pastor held up $600 bills. And he said, I want six people to take these $100 bills and do something for the kingdom and come back and tell us about it. And I didn't want to do that, so I was just sitting on my hands. And he pointed right in my direction. I look around, and my daughter's got her hand up in the air. She's 11. And he called her up there, and she took that $100. And, and she, she used that $100, and she grew it into $750 in just a short time. And so that pastor gave her a brochure on the Bomaka which is a tribe, a primitive tribe in India that worshiped darkness. They had never heard of Jesus, had never heard of the cross. They were totally uneducated. They lived in little huts. And uh, 
she, they were, Glad Tidings India was going to start bringing literacy and the gospel to them by teaching adults to read through Bible content literacy classes and sending children to children's Bible school where they would hear about Jesus for the first time. And that's kind of like our VBS. And so she sent $200 and wrote a letter and sent it to Glad Tidings India. And, and the president of Glad Tidings India, who lives in Pennsylvania, got my phone number and he called me up and he said, thank you to your daughter. Tell me about yourself. And we talked, and it turned out he was going to be coming to California. I said, why don't you come to the missions committee meeting at our church, and I'll bring my daughter, and she can, you can meet her. And so he shared about how the Lord was moving in India. And at the end of his talk, he said, we have a mission vision trip going to India in just two and a half months. If anybody wants to go, we'd love to have you go, but we need to know in two weeks. And she raised her hand. And on the way home, I'm like, Christina, this is India. You can't go to India by yourself. That means... It means I have to go with you, and that means we got to see if you can get out of school for two weeks in January, and if I can get out of work for two weeks, and if we can raise the money for the two of us to go, and we have to ask your mom for permission, because this is India. It's not Indiana. And she said, Dad, we'll have to pray about it. Well, okay, we prayed about it. And two weeks later, I was calling the president of Glad Tidings India to tell him my, my 12-year-old daughter and I would be going on this trip to India in January. And that trip changed my life. The first, first few days, we traveled an area called Ranchi in Jharkhand, a state in northern India. And we saw how the Lord was just doing incredible things through church planters and literacy teachers and schools and churches and transforming lives. And then we traveled to Delhi, and we were going to fly to Chennai, and we missed our flight in Delhi. And that meant we had to spend the night in the airport. And I'm like, I'm not going to go to sleep tonight with my 12-year-old daughter in this airport. And so... The missionary who founded this ministry, who went to India in 1950 as a young man from Ireland, said, I'll stay up with you. And we talked all night long about how God had used him and his wife to spread Bibles all over the country and to develop literacy programs and church planter training programs and the miracles they had seen and the lives they had seen transformed and how that ministry had just exploded. And I learned how much God loves the people of India. And God got a piece of my heart for India that night. And so we came home and we shared about it and we told others about it. And a few years later in 2014, my son was going into eighth grade and there was another mission vision trip. And I said, Joshua, if you want to go to India, this is the time to go. And he said, I'll pray about it. He wasn't quite the hand-raising type. He said, I'll pray about it. And so then I said to my wife, Kathy, if he wants to go to India, if God's calling him there, I can't go because I'm working on my master's degree, and that means you need to go with him. And she was like, oh, I'll pray about it. And a few months later, they were going to India. And when I picked them up in the airport after being in India for two weeks, one of the first things he said to me was, Dad, I want to raise $500,000 to send 500,000 children to children's Bible school so they can hear Jesus loves me for the first time. Wow. He was 13. Ryan was on that trip. Soon after that, they asked me to join the board of directors. Oops, I should have gone there. There. That was the first trip to India. Um, soon after that, they asked me to join the board of directors. And uh, that meant, they and then they asked me to be the liaison and go to India once a year to meet with the management committee of our partner. And I said, yes, I'll do that. And I got to see ministry, and I still go every year. And then... They asked my wife if she would lead a mission vision trip and take a few of our friends on a trip to India. And she did that. She said, yes, I will. 
And when they came home, they said, wow, this was great. Let's have a banquet and see if we can raise even more money. And we raised over $20,000. And that does a lot of ministry in India. And so Glad Tidings India said, wow, that's incredible. Will you guys open up a West Coast office? And we said, yes, we will. Because we want to rescue even more people in India from the prison of destitution and spiritual darkness so they can claim their own self-worth and have hope for a brighter future and know that God loves them. Because India has the most number of illiterate people, the most number of destitute people, the most number of impoverished people, the most number of people living in indentured servitude, and the most number of people who have never, ever heard the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why we want to change most to least. We want to make a difference, and we want to we want to bring that down. So we do that through literacy and the gospel. And the word of God transforms lives, families, and communities. And people like you join us to help change those families and make that difference. I want to share with you how you can store up treasures in heaven by producing spiritual fruit from unreached people groups. You is for unreached. During one of my trips to India, we're traveling on this road and this was kind of the view that we see outside the windows. And, the, and Dr. Scott, that missionary who went there in 1950, was with us. And there was another pastor there with us who was a church planter. And they told us that 10 years before they had traveled to this site, and there was no road. They had to walk. And there was this grove of trees, and there was about 10 or 20 believers underneath those trees. And they wanted to bring the gospel and literacy to the people in the hills and the jungles around them. And so... They said, yes, we'll help you do that. And so we get to that grove of trees, and now there's a 1,000 people there to greet us. And they're singing, and they're dancing, and they're playing their tribal drums, and they're telling us how God had made a difference. And Dr. Scott got up at the, at, at the church service, and he asked for any former witch doctors to stand up because these people practiced black magic, and they had witch doctors, and they worshiped trees and animals. And those witch doctors could heal and heal the sick and the injured through demonic powers. And when the evangelists came in there, all of a sudden the witch doctors couldn't heal anymore. So the people would go to the evangelists and they would heal in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the people said, your God is more powerful than your God. We will follow you. And so when Dr. Scott asked for any former witch doctors to stand up, six guys stood up who had been witch doctors and had now become sons of God. And that is making a difference, bringing people out of spiritual darkness. That's the picture of the church. Oh, no. That's the picture of the church. P is for people. God loves all people. The Bible tells us that he wants that none should perish. One of my trips to India, I saw this stack of pancakes in the field. What are those? And they told me that those were cow patties that were dried and used for fuel. And I got up close to some of them, and I noticed there were handprints in them. And I realized that there's people in this culture that are born into a life of being cow patty smushers. They're untouchables. They're outcasts. They're uneducated. Their grandparents were cow patty smushers. Their parents were cow patty smushers. They're cow patty smushers, and their kids will be cow patty smushers. And when the word of God and literacy and education rubs up against someone like that, they learn that, no, they're made in God's image and he loves them and he wants a relationship with them and he sent his son to die for them. 
and he has a plan for them and an identity. And that plan is probably not being cow patty smushers. And that's rescuing people from the prison of destitution and spiritual darkness. G is for group. India has the most number of unreached people groups. Think of tribes or little nations, over 2,800. And over 2,500 of those people groups have never heard the name of Jesus. They're unreached. And we want to change that. The Kotia that Ryan mentioned is one of those unreached people groups. And they worship trees, and they worship cobras, and they worship Hindu gods and goddesses. And they're very poor. They, they don't have access to medical facilities. They live in little shacks. They don't have sanitation or water. They marry off their girls at a young age, like 12, 13, and they don't send their kids to school. And they are untouchables. They're outcasts. And we want to bring literacy and the gospel to them with your help. During one of my wife's trips, she, she visited this literacy class, and the women in that village weren't given a name. They had no identity. So it would be like every woman here being called Fishhawk. And one of the women stood up and said, when I went through this literacy class and I learned that God loves me and, and, he lo and, he, and he has an identity for me and he wrote my name in the book of life except if I accept Jesus. And she said, I accepted Jesus. I've been baptized and I chose the name Sarah because I don't know that name he has for me, but I want Sarah and it means precious. And so she had an identity and that transformed her life. And with these unreached people groups, uh, I said that India has the most number of unreached people, unreached people groups and Glad Tidings India wants to change that. And so we developed this three-year strategy where, where we teach 750 adults to read, usually in 25 villages, so it impacts a wide area. And we train 12 church planters in evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. And then we send 1,000 children to children's Bible school. And that makes an incredible difference in lives. And, and uh, S is for spiritual fruit. <clears throat> and Jesus challenged us in Matthew 6 to go. He said, I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. From these unreached people groups, we have 80, over 80, that have completed that three-year project. And in the majority of those groups, there's over 1,500 people in each group that are attending newly formed churches. And it could be 100 churches, little house churches, kind of like the the mini churches that Ryan's talking about. And there's over a thousand people in each of those groups have made decisions for Christ. And that's, that's creating spiritual fruit that will last. And when you help sponsor an unreached people group, there's a really high probability, better than the lottery probability, that when you get to heaven, you will meet Indians who are there because you made a difference. S is also for storing up treasures in heaven. And in 1 Timothy, Paul writes, tell them to use their money to do good. Tell them to be generous with those in need. For by giving their treasures and using their treasures for a foundation, they will uh, develop a future of, that will give them true life. Jesus also commanded us in Matthew 6, or advised us to store up our treasures in heaven, not in this world. And Randy Alcorn, the author of The Treasure Principle, says it is by serving God and serving others that you store up treasures in heaven. And it is by giving instead of keeping, by investing in eternal things instead of temporal things, uh, that you store up treasures in heaven, and those treasures will pay dividends forever. Jesus challenged us in the Great Commission 
to go out and bring the gospel to Jerusalem, to our Jerusalem, our Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he said, and. It wasn't an or, it's an and. So we're supposed to do all of that. India is the ends of the earth. And the problem is that we can't all go to India, and they don't want us to all come to India, and it's better for Indians to bring the gospel to other Indians. In Romans 10, 13 to 15, Paul writes, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on his name unless they hear it? And how will they hear it unless someone tells them? And how will they tell them unless they are trained and sent? Blessed are those who bring the glad tidings of Christ to the unreached. And so we talk about serving as senders, that we can't all go to India, but we can train Indians to be literacy teachers and church planters so they can go and bring the gospel to the unreached. So today we have an opportunity through this Luke 19 project to help sponsor the Cotilla, which is this unreached people group that we've been talking about. And an unreached people group project is three years, it's $31,750. Every $30 that goes into that project is going to bring someone to Christ on average. Sometimes it's, it's $20 per person. Sometimes it's $35. But about $30 per person saves, saves a soul. That's a pretty incredible return on your investment. So we can do that through the Luke 19 project, and then we have what we call an unreached people group sponsor challenge because most of us can't write a check for $31,000. So we break that into bite-sized pieces of shares of $30 a month for three years, so about a dollar per day. And it takes 30 of those shares to sponsor an unreached people group. So we have some coming in from the Luke 19, and, and if the Holy Spirit is putting it on your heart to join that and to to go for 30 or 60 or $90 a month or whatever you can afford, then that'll help us get to that goal of sponsoring the Cotilla. The Holy Spirit might be putting on some of your hearts to come to India and to see what God is doing. And that's something, we have a trip going in February. We go every February and we take teams of 10 on mission vision trips to see what God is doing and to see how he's transforming lives. Kathy and I will be in the back uh, in the lobby after the service. We can answer questions. We can talk about that. Um, and the thing I, I want you to consider is that this is an opportunity for you to say, yes, I will help. Yes, I will make a difference. And yes, I will make sure the people in India who have never heard the name of Jesus get to hear his name. And I want you to remember that you are blessed when you bless others.